Hey, what's up guys? On this episode of Blood, Sweat & Gear, we're gonna start out talking about the New York Pro happening in Tampa Bay. Uh, after that, we're gonna discuss the importance of mobility and stretching, things that like nobody ever wants to do, but they should. And then we're gonna go to all of our listener questions. We have a plethora of listener questions today. All sorts of stuff about the GH and IGF, and there's a little training stuff in there. Stick around, we have a bunch of stuff. It's all happening right here now on Blood, Sweat & Gear. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear, part of Think Big Bodybuilding Media. Uh, all of our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com, GetAzoff.com, and SupplementNeeds.co.uk for all of our people across the pond. Uh, I'm here with Skip Hill and S2H. If, you, if you're if you just tuning in to this program for the first time, we answer bodybuilding questions. We're going to do that tonight. These guys have both been in the industry for a very long time. I could talk more about that, but instead, because I don't want to make these guys embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass you, Skip. Let's just get this thing rolling. What's up, guys? How you doing? Rolled. Yeah, you know, me. Getting ready for... <laughs> um... This is called Dead Air. We're starting the show with Dead Air. So we... Uh... Skip's pretty pasty. He is. Yeah, we well, get let's comments. get that out of the way right away. Yeah, let's get that out of the way right away. I have not tanned for a week, a little over a week and a half. People are going to appreciate that. We get comments... Uh, about uh, the melanotin use that -hmm. you do every episode. People are like, please stop with the melanotin. People are like, how much melanotin does he take? People are like, his liver is shutting down. You can tell when you look at his eyes because he's dying from the (laughs) melanotin. You get all sorts of comments like that. That said, guys, today we've got a couple of topics we're going to cover. We we have to talk some bodybuilding stuff, like like actual sport of bodybuilding, because uh, Tampa is now the head of the world, and Skip is basically right there. So uh, we've got a bunch of shows coming up. They're all in Tampa now. New York Pro is in Tampa. Uh, I think everything is in Tampa. Um, we're going to talk about that. We are also we are going to talk about uh, stretching mobility active recovery stuff. That's a topic that none of us really ever really want to focus on, but I, you know, it's important to all of us. And then after that, we're going to go to listener questions. So if you guys have questions at the live feed, feel free, free to throw them up. Let's get started talking about your boy, Manny. So what's, what's he doing here? What show is this? It's funny. He just hit me too. He's that, that dude is funny. Anyway, yeah. he's, uh, he's doing the New York pro and I'm going to tell you, look, I don't, I'm not going to bash the west side, the gulf side, or anything else, but I'm still three and a half. I'm so, I'm so flow. I'm not gulf side. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the what do I want to say? The demographic over there is just uh, in stark contrast to South Florida. You identify There's no culture with, over there. You identify with Miami, I take it? So. So, yeah, much more. There's a lot more going. On. Much, much quicker pace. A lot more culture. Yeah. Better food. There's a bunch of fucking old white people over there on the west side. And now you get to Tampa. And Scott Stevenson. Scott Stevenson. Yeah, there's a lot of bodybuilding over there. It is yeah. kind of a. Um, I don't know if it's if you want to call it a hub, but I mean, in reference to say Miami, Tampa's pretty. You know, it's hopping from a bodybuilding standpoint, and they made these promoters are making good calls. You see, I do the kind of um, veteran decision-making, you know, Bev Francis, 
that that's a good call to move the New York Pro out of a state where the restrictions are you know, so limited yeah. that they wouldn't have, look what they're doing with the North Americans. And I'm not going to bash Gary for what he's doing. He's making it work. And I think that's great. Yeah. But he moved masters nationals down to Tampa yeah. or I'm sorry, Orlando. It, it's oh, it's going to be Orlando. Right. Yeah. Great move though. Get okay. it down here. So you don't have those restrictions because the restrictions they have in place coming up for the North Americans, they don't, they can't have an audience. They can't have vendors. They are calling the competitors from their rooms in the hotel to come down when their class comes up to compete in the tent. Now, yeah. again, I'm not bashing him. He's doing what he has to do. He probably tried to get the venue moved to and couldn't because it was too late. Yeah. So I totally get it. But moving stuff down here is a it's a, it's a good move. I'm looking at these two uh, texts that, that came through or two email messages. So no trainers or vendors or audience members inside of the tent. Uh, due to updated crowd restrictions in the Pittsburgh area, uh, we will not be having an audience or vendors or trainers, coaches. So there's not going to be even an audience is what they're saying. Right. Huh. Yeah. And, and I wonder, too, there there doesn't seem to be any mention of masks. I would imagine that they may have to wear masks because the competitors will be in close proximity to each other. But again, that's being, you know, I'm assuming that that's the case, but I think it's a safe assumption. Hmm. Now, again, Gary's doing everything he can, yeah. but from a competitor standpoint, it does take away, you know, a lot of the experience, uh, a lot of the, the overall experience for, you know, kind of ending a long journey, uh, you know, spending a lot of money and a lot of time and everything else. But the alternative is there's no show. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Yeah, you know, I'll take that. Can, I, I understand that. Yeah, I would as take far that. As Manny's concerned, Manny uh, is my uh, he's two twelve competitor for the New York Pro. He did the Tampa Pro about five weeks ago mm. and came to me and wanted to be fuller and wanted to put a better package on stage. And so far, we've we've done that. We've got him leaner, um, playing with the peaking techniques over the last couple weeks because he's not a or hasn't been a skip load refeed cheat kind of guy hasn't had one meal off of his plan since like january and i'm gonna pull and this picture take... up of him here too his back is looking pretty peeled when's this from uh it was just last week it was the day after the well i was contrasting the day before the load versus the day after okay and so of course he's you know he's dry this is the same weight but an obvious i only you see know, change. you only got sent the one to me Oh, I only sent the one. Yeah. Okay. That's all right, though. Uh -huh. We can get a good idea. Yeah, I'll get you the other one of, of how contrast later. All right. Yeah. Yeah, he looks peeled, yeah. man. He looks really lean. What's he weighing here? Barely under the cutoff for 212. Okay. So he's right there at the cutoff. Um, you know, we have to get him down below that, obviously, before we load him so that his weight can come back up as he fills out. But it's drying him out considerably. A lot of people... Uh, struggle to load the night before a show and still be bone dry or even drier the next morning. Or, uh, but he's so close to where we want him that what's going to happen is it's going to limit, and I say limit, it's going to make the water protocol and anything that may go along with that very, very minimal. Okay. So it's, uh, and I don't want to, you know, I know that somebody might be listening going, oh, come on, throw the detail. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because those are last minute you don't know it. Are, you don't really quite know. Now, not only 100%. do I not know it, but honestly, even if I did, I wouldn't throw out because you know how. Look, we we know how people are. Then all of a sudden, that's going to be something that is taken and used, and and I 
you know, I put enough information out there. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to yeah. uh, spoon feed, uh, you know, Although uh, a I, bunch of people. With, so. I would hope that people know better than to use a fixed protocol. There's no absolutes. I hope that people know that by now. There was a time that Dave Palumbo put it out there, his diazide protocol, which was like a half a diazide, like four or five times, you know, starting at 6 p.m. And that was just like what you did. And I followed that. That was just like what I did. But now I feel like we know better than to just follow a protocol. You know, I would hope that. Well, the problem is you know better and you learned better, but a lot of people don't. And when they yeah. when they don't know better, then that's their better. So mm. they take that, and they'll tweak that, and they'll learn from that. And yeah. you know, even if you don't know, I hope they're watching Blood, Sweat, and Gear, and they know that like don't follow just a fixed protocol. Don't do it. There's no absolutes, you know, and I think that's the truth about anything. There was this guy who had a, he was making a lot of statements on a video I recently watched and uh, Scott and I talked about this and the thing was, he was like, you can never replace volume with more intensity, like intensity, you know, does not, you can't, you can't make up for volume. That's always got to be high volume. And Scott's first point was like, well, anytime anybody ever says never or always that it's always that there's an absolute, that's when the bell should start go. The flag should start going off. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You're usually trying to sell you something. Yeah, yeah, them, <laughs> them and their approach and opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Or products or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Services. Yep. Yeah, there's never a never and there's never an always. Okay, so I'm excited, man. This is we're what? How how far out are we now from New York Pro? One week. Yeah, one week. I'm still stuck on Scott's profundity over there, though. Um, that was impressive. In fact, I think it was. Um, that's what like ground, groundbreaking. <laughs> what, what, what was that fancy word you just used? <laughs> profundity. Oh. Your it's like my Abraham Lincoln statement. You know, it's going to be in <laughs> Wikipedia in the history books. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What nationality is Skip? Somebody just asked us that. I don't know, but I like that hat. German. Okay. So not from like yeah. the Caribbean or something. No, French. I'm French Polynesian most of the year. But when I'm not tanning as much, then I, I revert back to my, um, my – I always use that. You laugh, but people will ask me sometimes. You know, saying I'm Hispanic, that's not boring. That's no offense to Hispanics because I think Hispanic women are fucking hot and their skin tone is gorgeous. Same with Puerto Ricans. But anyway – French Polynesian just sounds, you know, <laughs> sounds sexy. I'm from the islands, man. I'm from Tahiti or Bora Bora. All right. I'm going to jump into our first. Uh, well, I guess it's not really our first topic because we did want to talk about the shows and stuff. And we just did that. We do have a topic, though. The topic being um, you know, active recovery. Let's talk. So let's talk about mobility. Let's talk about stretching. It's funny because I put this thread up. Uh, saying, hey, guys, at the Advices Radio Group. I was like, hey, guys, how many of you guys do like stretching and mobility work? I was like, I haven't done it in the past, which I know I should have, and I'm really getting into it now. And the only reason I'm getting into it is because I've hurt myself. The only time I've really done it is when I've gotten hurt. Now I'm better, but I don't want to get hurt again. And that's why I am making this a commitment now. But basically, I'd say 75% of the people who responded all said, I know I should. But they don't. But they don't, man. Why don't we do it, Skip? 
Well, for the same reasons you just stated, and those are the same reasons that I didn't do it either. It's a, you know, talking about mobility and stretching is about as fun as talking about cardio. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, I, I hope, because I'm going to make this as fun and interesting as possible, but people are probably already going, oh, fuck, I'm going to get to the drug talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to talk about trend. Like, what the fuck? Make fun of skipping his fatty liver and jaundice and everything. But um, mobility, people come to it when they have an injury. That's 90, you know, that's yeah. probably over 90% of people. And it depends on the age demographic because, you know, look, I, when I was in my 20s and I was banging weights and not, I didn't give a shit about stretching. Some old people do. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, because that was a mistake on my part, because had I been stretching all along, maybe I would not have come into the back issues that I had. But that's usually how we come across knowing that we have a problem. And a lot of people don't jump to the stretching and mobility. They jump to things like chiropractic adjustments and things like that, massage. And even then, those aren't terribly exciting and you got to spend money on them. And yeah. It doesn't make you huge. So it's like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. So you end up you usually end up with an injury or some type of nagging problem to where then you finally go, you know what? Okay, I've heard these people who I respect tell me this is what I need to do. I'm going to give it a shot. And then damn it, if the most simple thing that was there the whole time ends up being what will save you from a lot of future yeah. injuries, especially when it comes to your lower back or shoulders, yes. things like that. Yes. Yeah, there's so no question. Primarily lower back. I mean, look, if you got lower back problems and you're not stretching, you gotta get with the you gotta get with the program. The chiropractic adjustment helps because it realigns everything. But the second you're realigned, the muscle imbalances from left to right are pulling against that alignment. Back out. Second yeah. after right. Yeah. So you need to to get yourself to where you don't have an imbalance, one side that's tighter than the other, and then you'll keep that alignment. You won't get pulled, you know, you won't have the muscles pulling against the spine, pulling your hips out of alignment, things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking, I got to give a shout out, by the way, to one of our listeners, Malik. He's from uh, like Eastern Europe, I believe. And I watch him here. He was like, oh, yeah, this is my program. And he literally just goes down straight into a splits, like the open leg splits. I'm like, holy crap, that dude's flexible. Like, that's a lot of flex. I can't do that, man. I can't do that. Yeah, that's impressive. I had a, a friend, and I talked about him about a, a year, year and a half ago because he passed away from uh, prostate cancer a year younger than me. But hmm. he was a professional wrestler with uh, Rob Zikowski um, and those who follow professional wrestling that's rob van dam and they were the ones in high school that were like we're gonna be professional wrestlers and we're like oh you guys are fucking stupid shut up yeah, you know yeah. that sort of thing but he could jump up he'd have two two benches regular benches that you'd lie down and do flat dumbbell presses on put his hands behind his back jump up to the side do splits catch his catch those benches or catch his feet on those benches with his hands behind his back the whole time drop down touch his ass or balls or taint or whatever to, uh, literally an inch off the floor and then bring himself up and just kind of bounce there like he's a bobber in the water while fishing. That's nice. So it's crazy. And on that note, it's important to note too, flexibility like that can actually be counterproductive because you can be too flexible. I've heard when you're that. Training heavy. I've yeah. heard that. Yeah. I've heard that. That you but you want to you want to have that flexibility within your normal range is is what I've heard. Exactly. That that's the important exactly. thing. Um, yeah, I'm. This is something that I'm paying more attention to, and, and you know, you mentioned the cost of massage therapy. I have a great massage therapist. She does 
what's called FST. It's fascio stretching technique. It's a lot like an ART type thing. It's brutal as all hell. You go in there, you go on the table and she's like just digging her thumbs through you. Basically it's, it's like, it's excruciating, especially if you don't go on a regular basis, you know, because you're super tight. But I mean, we're talking a hundred dollars plus an hour for that. So I have to do stuff at home. I'm getting together some information on, um, I have a Theragun and uh, one of the people I work with and friend and listener of the show uh, listens uh, here. She uh, she works for Theragun and she's getting me the information that they give to like practitioners, body workers and stuff. I, so far, I found some good stuff with it to be able to to use it to kind of work with stretching so I can get like all under the armpit through the like actually I'm sore right now in the lat the front the front of my lat I've been going through here and then through the rib cage under the pec getting into the pec and then that's loosened it all up which is helping my shoulder okay and that's like something I would have never done before I just need to be able to keep my I got to stay on top of it how do you let me ask you this guys how do you work this kind of thing into a program? When do I do this again now? Because I just did this yesterday. I wouldn't want to do it again right now. I'm kind of tender to the touch. When would I want to get back to it? Do it a year from now. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> do it after my shoulder starts hurting, right? After I tear something yep. again. It's a difficult question to answer, though. The question is similar to how frequently should I train mm. for recovery and things like that. When I was going through my uh, the bulk of my lower back problems, because I was so tight and just starting to stretch, I stretched almost daily. And I think there's two ways to stretch. I stretch prior to legs these days and people go, oh my gosh, you stretch before. That's, that's you're not supposed to do, you're breaking all the rules, you're supposed to stretch afterwards. But there's two types of stretching or there's two ways that I approach stretching, let's put it that way. Stretching afterwards when you're warm, when your muscles are tight or there's an imbalance, that type of more aggressive stretching is to increase your shitty range of motion and to basically make the muscles more elastic and increase the range of motion. The stretching that I do prior to legs is not aggressive. It's basically in my mind, and I refer to, to this when I'm talking to myself because I have several conversations with myself every day, and quite frankly, sometimes they're the best conversations that I have in a day. But anyway, the, the stretching is more along the thinking of, opening up my hips. I'm not stretching prior to legs to increase flexibility. I'm stretching prior to legs to get those muscles to the range of motion for me to be able to train legs. Yeah. Kind of, you know, part of my warm up, that sort of thing. And then afterwards, then if I'm stretching, I'm stretching more aggressively to increase that range of motion. So there's I approach it with those two different ideas or concepts for stretching. Okay. So then it becomes, well, obviously the more aggressive stretching, you may, I want to say not recover from it as much, but you, you may not want to do that as frequently. And as you get closer to you, to the range of motion with those muscles in your hips and you don't have those imbalances anymore, mm -hmm. then you don't have to stretch as frequently <clears throat> because you, you'll, you'll notice as you start to stretch, oh, wow, I'm not all that tight. So the, the amount or the times that you have to stretch, say, per week will decrease significantly I once you get closer to the range of motion that you need for those muscles. I and I, when I talk about stretching, I'm referring to hips, yeah. piriformis, psoas, things like that, hamstrings. 
but it may be like you said it may be a shoulder issue where you have poor mobility some people can't squat because they can't get their fucking hands back comfortably too far so there's different issues there that you know that people may have but i think the large majority of people with mobility issues are with that are going to need stretching for injury prevention the bulk of those people it's going to involve in some way their lower back and hips and hamstrings yeah yeah especially anybody who's sitting at a desk you know any of that stuff like me i'm sitting at the desk all day and and all of that tightens up on me you know what's really bad for me and actually i'll shoot a video and i will add it into the recorded version for our youtube viewers by the way i didn't mention guys uh, do us a favor hit the like button if you're enjoying our content and if you haven't subscribed yet we have several programs each week i'll add that video in here so people can see it have you ever seen the, a, a stretch to do to stretch out QL? Because QL is hard to stretch, and what it basically is is you kind of take a take a heavy band and then hook it to something up high, and then you wrap it around under your armpits basically, and then you can kind of lean forward and pull, let the band pull you, and it 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 stretch. It's like the one thing that I can do to stretch QL. And my QL gets so freaking tight just sitting at my desk all day. You know, just it's bad news, man. And it's been the the one thing I can't I can't twist. I can't turn. I can't get anything to stretch it otherwise. It's very difficult too to verbally explain stretching. That's why I figured I'd I'd do a video later and I'll add it in. Yes. Yes. And that's why I tried to go as in-depth as I could in the chapter for stretching around my lower back issues in the uh, TRT bodybuilding DVD. And it's difficult to do because you, you visually it can look right. But if you're not feeling it where you're supposed to, yeah. uh, you know, there can be there can be minor subtle tweaks to stretching that you sometimes are vi- it's visually difficult to see. But then when you feel them, you're like, that's it right there. That's it. Right. That's how you. That's how you do that because now I can feel it. That yeah. sort of thing. So the, the TRT, um, you know, the TRT uh, bodybuilding DVD. Uh, now, technically, that is it. That's like available to watch for free, right? On on your site on Team Skip. Am yeah, I right? on Team Skip. They're it, both both DVDs are on the main page. So we don't even have to call it DVD then, guys. Like you guys don't have to buy this. You can go to teamskip.com and actually, if we is is there a specific section for stri- like does it say here's the stretching stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then let's get yeah. that get that to me before we put the show out, and I'll put that in the the YouTube notes. So if anybody wants to click on that, they can go and check out Skip stuff and uh, cover probably a lot of the stuff we're we're kind of talking around right now. You know. And Dr. Jake at that time was my training partner, so he's in the video explaining things and kind of instructing me through you know, the proper technique and stuff like that. So as they watch it, they should get a pretty good ex- uh, explanation of, you know, what exactly how to do it, things like that. So I'll get that to you. We yep. had uh, we had Dr. Jake on the show a long time ago now, long time ago now. He said, he goes, I'll come back on, I'll be back on, I'll come back on. No. No, never. Well, never. once a year. We can't, you know, we have those rules. We can't, we can't just let anybody continue to come back on the show. You know, that just, you know, kind of messes with the flow and the dynamic and things like that. Especially Scott. I mean, he's, he doesn't get to talk very much anyway. So we bring somebody right. else on and gets to talk even less. Scott, <laughs> stretching. Yep. Tell me all about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I go to the Oriental Tug Hut down the road. <laughs> nice fine establishment. They stretch me out. Dude, I'm There's flexible. so many things oh, wrong with that statement. 
so many flexible as concrete. Yeah. And there are things you can do at home that are important too. Little subtle minor things. You just brought up a good point that if you're sitting in front of your computer all the time, that's one of the worst positions you can be in for long periods of time because yeah. your legs are bent, your hamstrings aren't stretched. So one of the good things is if you're watching TV and you got a coffee table or an ottoman, put your feet up on it because that will help to at least you're sitting in a position where your hamstrings will be stretched mm -hmm. instead of contracted. Um, same when you're working at your computer. If you have a way to get your legs up in front of you, even if it's only four or five inches off the floor, that will keep you out of a position that essentially shortens, hmm. for long periods of time, shortens the hamstrings. And the hamstrings are vitally important. Flexibility for the hamstrings, vitally important when it comes to leg training, especially squatting. And hmm. it, the hamstring relationship to a butt wink, hmm. um, which uh, S2H could talk about at length, I'm sure probably even better than myself, because the butt wink originated not in bodybuilding, but in powerlifting. So on that note, we'll just slide over to S2H. Scott. Can you bring I your camera down too? Can you bring your camera down a little, maybe for us? Who? You, you got you slid up. You're like that way down in the bottom. I'm sitting you back a little. You wanted that fish in there. All right, there um, we go. I have a roller on my floor in my office, and I roll on it and read books. Foam roller. And then I was fall asleep on the floor, hardwood floor. <laughs> okay, feels good on my back. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, talk to us a little bit and, about um, what Skip was talking about then, because I know you've had a lot more experience with powerlifting than either of wink. us have. I don't even know what the butt wink is. You're kidding me. Oh, no kidding. You will when I when I tell you what it is. You'll be like, oh, shit, that's right. Yeah. It is when the when you squat too deep, because every, you know, everybody's got this that that old, I, I say antiquated, <laughs> idea of squat ass to grass. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just kind of... there. It's more complicated than that. You can't just squat as deep as you could possibly get without putting your lower back in a vulnerable position. What a butt wink is, is when, <clears throat> excuse me, in the lower position, what you're supposed to do is squat as deep as you can before your hips turn underneath you or what's called posterior. So when your hips turn underneath you that and then you come out of the hole, you see the lower back and it, basically it leverages the lower back. The hips come underneath, and then as you come out of the hole, they come back up, and you have this movement with your lower back, and that's the butt wink. Follow me? You, you know what I'm talking about now, Scott, right? Yeah. And that originated. Not that really. Originated in but power if you're wearing a belt, you're not going to have a butt wink. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you can. It won't be as, yeah, yeah, exactly. It may be more difficult to see, but it can still, it'll still be there. And it's a vulnerable position. What that basically says is it's tied into hamstring flexibility or lack thereof mm. more than anything else uh, in, you know, piriformis, you know, tight abductors, whatever, glutes. Yeah. It's tied into hamstring flexibility. So if you're having a problem and you want to get deeper, you're only supposed to squat, your squat depth, leg press depth, Anything that you're you're pressing or squatting with legs should only be deep enough to the point where your hips begin to turn onto you and you have to stop there. So if you want to be able to squat deeper safely, you have to increase the flexibility primarily of your hamstrings to be able to get lower. And butt wink. And no butt wink. Don't do it. Yeah. Oh, no butt wink. Yeah, yeah. reduce the butt wink. Yeah. I try to avoid stuff like butt wink when people are lifting terms like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Avoiding the term is probably <laughs> probably. Why do you have a nice butt wink? <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that your client, 
that they have a butt wink when they don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you have something. I'm going to tell you what it is. But but keep your comments to yourself for a minute. Let me explain it to you. Let yeah. me explain what it is. You can't fire me until I finish my statement. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope that this helps some people. I hope it gets people thinking about it. We had one comment. I'm not going to name you. Somebody said that I'm hypermobile and that I don't need to do any type of mobility stuff. And this person also happens to be very young. So if you continue to pound your joints and everything for the next decade, then just by nature, you will become old and tight like us. So get on top of it. You know what I mean? Get on top of it. Stay on top of it. Let's go to break. We'll come back and then we will tackle. We have a plethora of listener questions, guys. Nice. We're not really going to break, but I I will say this. I'll say two things. I'll say um, as part of my recovery program for my shoulder, I am using JFlex from our sponsor, True Nutrition. It's a great uh, joint product. There's only two things that will actually uh, improve your connective tissue. All the glucosamine chondroid and all that stuff, from what I understand, it doesn't actually repair connective tissue. But collagen, like the type one, like it's actually uh, like the beef hydrolyzed collagen from True Nutrition. I'm using that. And then I'm using JFlex, which has the undenatured type two collagen in it, as well as a bunch of other stuff for joints and inflammation and stuff. But yeah, I'm using those two things. If you guys want to check those out, check out our sponsor, True Nutrition. Use our code ADVICES. And of course, you can also go, if you want to get some awesome brain drugs, some stuff like this, Azoth, head on over to uh, getazoth.com and you can you can be on fire. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally here with Skip Hill and S2H. We're going to jump back in with all of your listener questions, and we have a ton of them. What's another good uh, another good word for like a lot or big amount, Skip? You're a writer. Mucho. <laughs> Mucho. Uh, a lot, big, I don't know. Um, grandiose yeah. amount of questions. Can't put me on the, How about that? Can't put me on the spotlight. Does that I sound... already used prof- Use profundly, allottedly. Uh, is that a word? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is now. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, we'll start right here. Uh, this is from Thomas Butler. Would you ever consider using fast-acting insulin without using HGH as well? My answer would be yes. Sure. Yep. Cool. Next question. Probably think cool. wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the part of the question. Have. Yeah. Yeah. So what's yeah, what's the have, deal? Why is he even yeah, asking that? Expound on that. Uh, it, loading is a is a good example where you know the combination of GH and insulin isn't going to be as you know you really don't need the GH to grow or to load, but the insulin itself can can certainly help with the loading process either for a show to peak or you know if you're loading weekly or high carb meals refeeds it doesn't have to be loading if you know someone has an aversion to that that label s2h <clears throat> but um had some something in my throat there raining here so my sinuses are, so exactly yeah it, you could now that you mention it skip loading would be a good example that actually didn't even didn't even register until you said that so good point thank you i appreciate that yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, plenty of people have used it by itself with good results. I don't 
Where does that come from? I think somewhere on the on the internet there was a thing that going around for a while that you had to do them both together, or, or it was you were a failed experiment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it, it works fine by itself. So what's the deal, though? I mean, where would that have come from? Uh, the growth makes you leaner so you can't get as fat. Would that be part of it? I wonder. I'm, I don't know. I don't even remember. It was just it's one of those things that went around for a while and yeah. maybe still does because I don't get on that Internet board stuff. But uh, anymore, but, you know, OK, they, they both work great and they both work great alone or together. All right. If someone has been running 200 milligrams of test per week for a while to focus on health and that they were ready to blast, do you think, this is from Jake Radcliffe, by the way, do you think it would be beneficial for gaining size to have a longer blast, more moderately up the dose from week to week for, say, 20 weeks, or to blast it hard and fast for a shorter frame of time, like 8 to 10 weeks, uh, before tapering back down to a cruise, I got I got thoughts on this one. Lots of yeah, thoughts. I mean, there's just so much going on there. But I mean, I'm not big on the long, long runs. Okay. Hit it good for you know eight weeks. Come back off to your cruise. Cover, you know, maybe then bump. You know, if you you'd be surprised if you hit it hard for like a month and then go back to your cruise for a month and hit it again. You know, you can actually have less side effects probably get decent you know just as good results i think people run these a lot of these cycles way too long and they keep like up in the dose up and up in it and it gets counterproductive define long though like if you're if you're saying okay because i i because you made the point of using eight weeks i don't i want people to be clear that you know 12 to 14 might not necessarily be long so i just didn't know what your definition it depends on what you're doing i mean I think the old way of tapering the pyramid way is obviously been found not to be, you know, the greatest thing. I mean, I think you should just get after it, you know, and then push it until you, your body's going to tell you when it doesn't like what you're doing anymore. Uh, when you start upping those doses and mixing all kinds of compounds in. But I mean, at some point you got to explore. Some guys can run a lot of shit for a long time and it works for them. Some can't, right. you know. But w- there's also some long-term health problems, too, if, you know, especially if, you know, like, you know, I can remember, you know, younger days of running shit all the time. It was like, whatever you got, give it to me. And eventually that takes a toll on you. So, but you got to you gotta play around with it. It's like anything. Some people, certain compounds work great for them. Some people, they don't. Um, what somebody calls a lot, maybe not very much for somebody else. But I think there's, this, a, there's a diminishing point of return in length of cycle and amount at some point for everybody. Right. I think, um, I, and I'm going to disagree with Scott only. I'm not saying he's wrong. I just have a different approach. I think at eight weeks, and especially if you're using longer esters, I just find that to be incredibly short. Um, and I also think that when you said that there's not as many sides, depends on the sides that you're talking about, too, because – if you're not on for very long, especially if you're hitting, let's say, eight-week cycles and you're hitting bigger dosages, you're coming at them hard, you're going to have this constant roller coaster ride of not only just testosterone levels but estrogen levels too as you blast and cruise. I think that there – and I don't subscribe to people being on you know, six, eight, ten months, but I do think that – 
you know, four or five months, I'd rather run a cycle uh, either myself or if some, you know, if a client asks me and he's a competitor, hey, what do you think as far as optimal time? I would probably put it at the, you know, give or take more at the 16, 18, even 20 weeks versus something like eight or 10. I just don't think what you're doing, I think, when you run the shorter the shorter cycles is let's just say you train each muscle group once a week. You're only going to hit chest or legs or anything else eight times in eight weeks. Now that doesn't mean that the second that you stop the cycle, your blood levels crash and you're not benefiting from the, you know, the eight week run of gear uh, only for that eight weeks. At the same time, I don't like the roller coaster ride. I would rather that the body get adjusted, find its balance, and then you're going to continue to grow. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions, and I'm not in any way saying that S2H, um, you know, agree or or says that this is a mis- believes this is a misconception, but one of the big misconceptions out there is that if you run the um, the shorter cycles, that you're only making gains when the scale weight is going up. So mm. I've heard people say over and over, well, you know, after three or four or five weeks, you know, I, I, I'm not getting any benefit from the cycle anymore. And I just, I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck is, are you kidding? That's, that's silly. That's only, your body has then adjusted to the point where you're not gaining the water weight anymore. But just because the scale isn't climbing doesn't mean you're not growing. And I've said this a lot of times, numerous times, I'm going to say it again. As long as you're progressing within bodybuilding rep ranges, you're growing. Your weight could be staying the same. You could be even losing scale weight slowly if there's a recomp going on. And a lot of people can do this. Uh, so if you ever hear a trainer say that that, you know, that can't happen or that can, that's just horrible, horrible information. You do not have to gain scale weight to grow. Now, could you gain more because you're in a larger, you know, caloric surplus? It's possible. But then the argument becomes like we have talked about the last couple shows, which is vitally important, is the relationship between insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance. And that's where sometimes when you're taking in too many fucking calories, your scale weight can be going up, but you're not necessarily growing. Because if you're more insulin resistant as those calories go up, and a lot of people, they start to shift that way. Then your nutrients and those calories are being pushed more to body fat storage than they are to repairing and building muscle tissue. So insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity, and somebody, you know, listening might think, God, you know, Skip keeps coming back to this. Because it's so vitally important. If people would focus on sensitivity versus resistance more than actual scale weight, they'd make more progress in the offseason. Guaranteed. I can see that. Crickets. I think one thing, you know, <laughs> I, I want to throw in here is the, the uh, you know, you, you guys had both touched on this too. The He said uh, a longer cycle where you're constantly uh, upping the doses you know, strategically adding more. I don't think you necessarily need to do that. Taper, tapering up as you go. I think that you, I don't know how he says, he says 16 to 20 weeks being a longer cycle. I think that if you if you're to use, you know, we, we've had the conversation before, you know, yes, once you begin, say, a long acting compound like equipoise, yes, it is working from the time you take it, but it is building up. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're taking more, it's, it's kind of, it defeats a purpose and to go along with what Scott's saying of just get at it, 
it's going to take you, you know, six weeks before that is actually built up in your system. So there's no reason to do 300 this week and 400 that week and, you know, 500, whatever. Just take what you're going to take with that. That would be, yeah, you know, one thing I'd say. It's the same with front loading. Front loading is a waste of time. Which I've right, done it. It's funny though because those that's oh we all have. Yeah. That's okay. a lack of that's nothing more than a lack of patience. <laughs> I'm just I I mean, I'm talking from experience. But you know, also I said eight eight weeks roughly, but I'm not talking about going off very long. So go eight weeks, take four or six weeks off on your cruise and go back into it. Mm. I can see that working. Because you're really not losing much blood level wise in that four to six weeks off, you're losing to probably maybe half of that time tops. That's, and that's a very good drop. point because we didn't discuss the off time. So that I would I would agree with, and that would flatten the curve more. You wouldn't have the big peak in the big valley and the big peak. You'd have to get to the peak, and then it would dip, and it would be more of this versus this. So I agree with that completely. The other thing that needs to be mentioned is uh, you know your blood markers. If you're younger, the body is more resilient. You may not even – some people can be at peak cycle – and their blood markers are still within range. As an example, RBC, hematocrit, and hemoglobin. Versus as you get older and you do more gear, the body isn't as resilient, and you're going to start to come out of those. You're going to be more prone, or it's going to be more likely that you're going to come out of those ranges, yeah. and you're going to be above. And, and anytime you're above with those three markers, your blood is more viscous, uh, thicker, and that's when you could potentially run a higher risk for a stroke or a heart attack. Yeah. All right, I'm moving on here. Okay, uh, so get some get a bunch of different growth hormone questions. Uh, we've probably addressed this before, but uh, for uh, for Jeremy, uh, does we can make this one quick? Does site injecting HGH have any local benefit? No, scar no. tissue. Scar yeah. tissue. All right. Um, how about? Um, when it comes to building muscle in the long run, how effective do you believe HGH is uh, since it is anabolic? So since it isn't anabolic, but does create new cells. I'll give it a. What's the best word to look for? That's a I would say moderate to low moderate. OK, so like if we were to say scale of one to ten. 10 being like the best performance enhancing drug for growing muscle. Where would you put testosterone it? being 10? Yeah. GH is probably a three. Yeah, four. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Now, if we talked about like recovery, you know, at 43 mm-hmm. years old, like me, uh, and yeah, my year old, I know, right? And my shoulder tear, then all of a sudden it starts becoming a lot more lucrative for me you know well, what that's I'm saying? recovery though but yeah no just straight muscle that's yeah. what i'm no, saying i think it's important for recovery you can recover faster uh i think the in, i mean this is what i see i mean long-term low gh use that every other day thing two or three i use is great for staying lean right and great for getting that that mature my you know, that, that more grainy muscle look yeah. so i'm gonna say all them old dudes you see at the gym that are ripped they're all on growth yeah yeah, yeah and, that, and that's a good point. I think that the the benefit from I'm going to explain it a different way to see if you agree, Scott. I think that the gains in muscle from growth hormone use are more indirect versus mm. your regular anabolic yeah, steroids. You sense. you can like as an example, and, and you make a good point. Metabolically, you're going to be leaner, so it will increase your metabolism over time, which allows you to take in more calories which will feed growth that potentially it's going to keep you more 
insulin sensitive in the sense that it's going to be you're going to have those calories to be able to feed the muscle versus just being stored as body fat so indirectly you can get muscle growth but i still i'm with you on the number three i think if i was asked that you had not uh if i was asked first i would have probably said the same damn thing it Me probably too. would be about a three and the older you get the more beneficial it can be i think the better it works um, you know, you take you put someone on it in their 40s for the first time versus someone on it in their 20s at the first time. Or if you take it when you're 20 and you don't take it again until you're 45 or it's say 20, but 25 to 45, you're almost certainly going to get. And I know myself, I did. I didn't see much of anything when I was in my late 20s, even early 30s. And then I get into my mid to late 40s and it's I don't want to say it's a game changer, but at the same time, the benefits were obvious versus I wondered when I was younger, I don't know if this is, yeah. I don't know, cost to benefits, kind of expensive. I got these four kids to feed. They're such a fucking burden, but I don't want to put my gains before these rotten ass kids. Gains are more important. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's why yeah. I you know, spent the money on the growth and they ate ramen noodles for, you know, 14 <laughs> weeks. It just is what it is. They yeah. understand. Dad's got to get yeah. shredded, kids. Dad's gains with a Z. Here's your shoes know. the dollar store, but I got some genius. <laughs> so, I'm know. I'm with you though. I'm with both of you guys. Three, three, about a three. I'd put it somewhere right in there. It's got the other benefits, yeah, but just for sheer muscle growth, yeah, about a three. Max Holiday. Just one more reason. Yeah. Let me uh, just throw in one more thing. Which is one more reason that if you're on the fence spending money, just don't spend the money. If you have extra money sitting there and you just have you know disposable income that isn't being taken from somewhere, then use it. Experiment with it and see because everybody is, you know, it's more of an individual. It's like testosterone or it's like Anavar or Trend. Some people respond to different compounds better than others and you may respond to growth hormone better than someone else or not much at all. So Scott if you got Stevenson, the money, check it out. But if you don't, just pass on it. Scott Stevenson pointed something out interesting one time that he said some people do seem to be better responders to growth than others. And he said some of the guys, you'll see the changes in their in their bodies over the years. Like in cause yeah. cause it will grow soft tissue, meaning your mm -hmm. ears can get pointier, your nose can get bigger. Things like that can change over the long term. And he said like He's seen a few guys where he's seen like the elf like ears happen in pro bodybuilders. And, you know, he didn't want to mention names in particular, but I think about it. I'm like, oh, OK, I could possibly yeah. see that in people that were like highly, highly responsive to it, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's you take it long enough, especially if you take it in higher doses, you're going to get you're going to get some some unique physical changes that you probably don't want. So, but as you get older, your ears get bigger anyway. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? And hairy, and hairy. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, Max Holiday says, uh, "In the past, you guys have talked about doing off-season mini diets. I made that into one word: mini diet. <laughs> mini diet. Um, when body fat levels have gotten too high and insulin sensitivity low." Um, could you please give an example of how to set that up? Um, how would the ma macros break down on something like a mini diet? I guess, I guess you know, and of course, I'll, I'm going to say first off that we can't say like, well, this is what you do. You take you, right. you do 200 carbs. You can't we can't say that. But but let's say that there was a guy who was eating 350 grams of carbs and 300 grams of protein and his fats were relatively low. 
what would be some things you might think of doing? I'll throw one thing out there that this is something that I've been doing with people. And it was an idea uh, passed on to me by Dave Kalick. And that was to, I started moving away from starchier carbs and I started moving into things that would be slower digesting. And even keeping the carbs at the same level, it helped to kind of reduce some additional fluid retention. And in, in a way, I found that you could avoid almost the mini diet by by kind of getting things under control by just altering where the carbs came from. But I'll say that though. I'll say that you, besides even reducing carbs, changing them to something that would be like like less high glycemic, less starch. I'll throw that out there as my contribution. Well, I mean, I got one I used to use. So if someone would go way off the reservation, like bad, you know, you don't see them for a while and they come back. Um, I want to, I want to compete again this year and they've gained like 40 pounds and it's not the best 40 pounds. Yeah. Then I'll just go, if I've given them a prep diet before I'll go to like, let's say they did a 16 week prep. I'll go to like the meals they were eating like 10 weeks out and just throw and say, hey, this wants you to do for two weeks. Okay. And it usually brings them back under, it's two things. One thing it, this is for somebody who's going way off the reservation. It works to get their weight down, get the water off them, get some of that fat off. But it also, it's kind of psychological. It makes them get right back kind of in a better frame of mind and not repeat that same pizza laden beer, you know, fast food process a lot of guys get into. Mm. So it gets them back on track. Now, if it's someone that's just kind of gotten a little bit out of hand, I'll probably just ask them, hey, so what are you eating? Tell me. And they'll be like, well, dude, you know, I've really been loving these Whoppers every day for lunch. Okay, let's just take the Whoppers out and go back to chicken or something. And usually it'll fix the problem. Yeah. You know. I'm going to piggyback off of what both of you guys are saying. And and I'm not going to give specific macros again because it's too difficult to do. We tried to do that last time it came up and it was kind of a discombobulated. It, it's just too hard to to really put numbers to it. So I would say this, uh, and I agree with Scott when you're talking about going more to a prep thing. It, a lot of this comes down to depletion. As you get glycogen depleted, you're going to become, over time, more insulin sensitive. So getting rid of the water, like you're saying, I mean, that happens anytime, most times when you cut carbs. Uh, and if you're depleting glycogen, then you're losing water weight as well. Um, maybe not necessarily sub-Q, but nonetheless, you're losing water weight. So the scale pretty much has to fall for you to become more sensitive. You could increase, and it could be argued that, well, you can just replace those carbs with fat and everything. Else. But I would still reduce the calories, reduce the carbs, get more depleted. And as you get depleted, it's a funny thing that happens. Typically, people who are insulin more insulin resistant, they lose their hunger. Yes, that They're happens not, to me big time. This, right. Mm -hmm. So as you get more depleted, as your carbs are lower, the hunger will start to kick up in relation to how depleted you are. And when you find yourself and you're hungry and you're starting to have cravings for carbs, it's a pretty safe bet that you're becoming more insulin sensitive at that point. And it can take only a couple weeks. Yeah. For other, you know, other people, it may take a little bit longer than that, but I'd probably put it right around two to four weeks. I think if you can't get insulin sensitive or more insulin sensitive in four weeks, you got a bad plan. And I have no sympathy. I'm just going to go on record and say, if someone comes to me and they say that they're eating Whoppers every day for lunch, you probably just need to talk to somebody else because 
the the answer to that question is so incredibly fucking obvious that you don't need to pay me to tell you what that answer is. That's like it's what what I call doc, um, being Dr. Phil or Dr. Filling. I'm telling you what you already know. You already know it. All I'm doing is backing up what you already know, and you're paying me to do that. Hmm. There's no sense in doing that. The the answer is obvious. It's right in front of you. You know it. Uh, apparently, you just want it to be backed up, and you're willing to pay me a good amount of money to back it up. <laughs> I'd rather solve larger problems. We're going to so cut that back. McNally, yeah, that right. We're going to cut exactly. that back to a half a whopper every third day, and then on the <laughs> from the double to the yeah. single, and then on the on the, on the, on the fourth day we're going to go to yeah yeah on the fourth day we're going to add a large fries for your load. That'd be good. Exactly. Dude, fries are great for loading, dude. Dude, do you think we could do a like a contest pro- prog- pro- project using just fast food? Do you think it could be done? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. You could go to Five Guys, and you could have locally grown potatoes cooked in canola oil. And if you knew the macros yeah. in that, you could get away with so, – not everybody huh. could. But you could get away with fitting that your fat macros with your carb macros, and you it could be done. I've thought about huh. this before. I don't know. It could be done. How about just like it's we, when you get in, like just all what? fast food, all like like just like a fast food prep. You could do a YouTube series on it. You can still use like T three and Clen and you know Trend and all that, <laughs> but just right. like so I'm going to prep on eating nothing but fast foods. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you this: the be best done. load meal, the best load meal, if you're ever competing in Texas, is a uh, is a water burger with cheese and pickles only and a large fry. Hmm. There's wow. some magic. Chicken to Whataburger. You know you're you from Texas and you think Whataburger is the best burger. Out. They did polls and surveys. Did anybody from Texas <laughs> pick Whataburger over over Shake Shack? Any, but anywhere else in the country, Shake Shack blew away Whataburger. Did it really? I've never <laughs> been to Shake Shack. Shake Shack is. Shake Shack is the shit, but it originated in New York City, so they're not going to have them in Texas, just like we don't have Whataburgers here. I think there may have been one in Colorado, but anyway. Hmm. We don't and you go probably like picante sauce, too. I cannot stand salsa or picante sauce or pico de gallo. Pico de gallo, what a fancy name for salsa. No need for that. I'm not a fan. What it does, it causes... Pico de gallo um, is not salsa. Gerd. Well, pico de gallo is salsa, right? It's tomatoes, onions, and cilantro chopped up. Okay, so it's fucking like a salsa. salsa. Yeah, what's a, not salsa. Yeah. Salsa is, is, is a sauce. Salsa is just watery. I forgot. You're from, you're from Colorado where the food is about as bland as humanly possible. <laughs> well, I, Colorado has pretty good food, but nonetheless, I don't know if there's technically like a Colorado food uh, like there is maybe in Texas because you guys have more Mexican food and stuff like that. So I would have to concede that you probably know more about Hispanic food than I do, but I probably Mexican. know more about Cuban food than you do. Ah! <laughs> coming, from, coming from South Florida. But anyway, I'm going to give a shout out like, to what, a year. I'm going to give a shout out to Tanya Miller because she likes my idea. She said uh, it would be a good way to show people how cheap fast food actually isn't. If you think about it and you were like prepping on fast food, that would get to be very expensive every day. It'd be $50 a day. Yeah. yeah. And I do think you could do it. I really think somebody could do it and it would be novel. So it would get everybody's attention. But here's the thing. It wouldn't be optimal. Even if you got into great shape, it wouldn't be optimal because there's just a better you know there are better ways to do it Dude, imagine, but it could be done imagine if like that guy beat you the fast food guy 
Like people would yeah, be yeah. pissed. People oh, would yeah, be like, pissed. Yeah, like a Waterburger, Waterburger posing trunks on. <laughs> yeah, sponsored by. <laughs> yeah, have orange posing trunks that that god awful orange uh, color that they use. <laughs> Looks like we have something maybe a little uh, off topic here. Would you rather live life where everything tasted like peanut butter? And everything had the consistency, or everything had the consistency of peanut butter. Oh, part of the appeal of the taste of peanut butter is the consistency. Yeah. The creaminess of it. It's just like warm cream cheese. It's like, mmm. It's pretty damn good. Both from both angles, isn't it? Taste. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The taste of peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. Skip yeah. likes warm, soft things in his mouth, but I don't. I so, do like warm. I tell you what, you want to try something good? Put warm cashew butter Ooh. on on toast. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, it's like uh, peanut butter on a burger. People, you know, five years ago they'd be like, "Oh my god, that's the most horrible thing." So I would take clients out and I would order the burger and tell the wait staff not to tell them what was on it, and they would take a couple bites and go, "Oh, I can't put my finger on what it is." And I tell them it was peanut butter and they're like, "Oh my god, no way, that is so good." But if you tell them ahead of time that the peanut butter's on there, they're like, no, 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 no. Not gonna, I, no, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to have peanut butter on a burger. No. But I can't think of one person that didn't like it after they had it. I wouldn't so. want to. If you, yeah, if you, if you told me, I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. You've never had a burger with peanut butter? No, no, no. And if you oh. told me ahead of time, I wouldn't try it even. I'd be like, no, fuck that. Gonna, I don't want to ruin my burger, you know? Excellent. Huh. That's excellent. Huh. Not everybody likes it, but a lot more people than you think. But they have to not know it's on there. Uh huh. Okay. You got to trick them. All right. Yeah, trick them. Jerry Wright, uh, he says, um, What's the longest cycle you would run? 12, 16, 18, 36. I added the 36 weeks. Uh, say 750 sussed, 600 EQ, uh, and 50 milligrams of Proviron. Uh, trust you guys. More than all the other forums, we're a forum now. So it's what was the it's, shortest one? Twelve. Yeah, twelve, sixteen, eighteen, 12, and I added thirty-six. 12. If you wanted to use that, I go twelve, thirty-six. I think I think most people in the if you go in the eighteen to twenty-two or even twenty-four weeks, I I like that area. I really do. Twelve. I th- now the longest one I've ever run. <laughs> You haven't gotten to that number yet. 36? Uh, I got like four and a half years. <laughs> uh, you did four and a half, then you have me. I was three and well, a half years. More than that, probably. Wow. Our, our youngest daughter was conceived about at the two and a half year mark, uh, but I only stayed on because my blood markers were, they were great the entire time. I was doing blood work every five to six months. And uh, the only problem that, that caused was when my wife came home and said she was pregnant, I was like, Oh shit, man! I better go get a test or DNA. something. DNA, yeah. That, this that, that, baby, that baby might come out not. That baby might come out not looking like me. I'm not. How's real your wife sure. and my kids doing? <laughs> <laughs> the check. The checks come every two weeks, and I appreciate you for that. So, thank you. Scott. Yeah, I could. I could think of some disaster runs over like years where it's like, oh, we got this this week to take. It was like a, just a. It was like a buffet, a hodgepodge. It didn't matter what it was. Right. Load it up and put it I in. Take it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I will say this in defense of my – there is a point where I think – and I can see – I'm not going to mention any names, but I will say there is one person that stands out on social media that has been around as long as I have, way back into the 80s. He's well-known, relatively well-known, 
and I won't want to say any more than that because I don't want to give it away because some asshole will post on YouTube going, oh, I know you're talking about so-and-so. Oh, me too. I thought that too because everybody wants to think they're fucking, you know, they know. I'm definitely going to post. Figure it out. But I'll say this. You can tell with some people if they've been on too long because they take on a mushy look. They don't respond. You can tell by looking at them that hmm. they're not responding well anymore mm, to gear. Yeah. And they, if they were to just come off for four or five months and go back on, even if they went on the same shit they were, they've been taking all along, they would look twice as good. You know, because pretty, everybody that's going to listen to this or is listening is thinking, okay, who's he talking about? Yep, it's exactly. all going through their head. I know who you're talking about. You probably do. I don't, but I'll, do I'll say I do. The look? Do you agree with the look? What I'm talking about with the look, though, and he's not the only one. I dude, I don't look that man. bad. All right, you don't have to make <laughs> you make fun of me on here. No, but it's it. No, and he, it does. I mean, because I mean, you you can only do the same stuff for so long before, like I said, there's a diminishing return to everything. Right. You just become relatively unresponsive, and then what is that for someone who is used to being on for long periods of time? Then they just want to add more. And or they it, it, it could yeah. also be the boiling the frog in the pot sort of thing that it's been such a long period of time. They don't actually see the progression or they mm. they equate it with age like, oh, it's because of my age, because I've been training for 30 years. It's it's, it's a not psychological a addiction too. It, that yeah. is a very good point. Yeah. And people who do that don't generally live that much longer than that person is yep. not jinxing anybody. But, you know, it's not good for you. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I completely agree. I just got my blood work done, too, last week, so. And you don't take anything. You were off TRT for like uh, I, I'm, I'm on my TRT. You're taking it again? Good. Good. I had to switch doctors, so I went back and I took, uh, let me think, I was three days removed, three or four days removed from an injection, 200 milligrams, my 200 milligrams a week. My test was 1341. That's, That's pretty high. Good. Yeah. And my free yeah. was uh, 674, something like that. You're rocking, huh? Yeah, I guess yeah, all that non-training really helps too. You're not waste. Work. You're not wasting all that testosterone with working out though, so that helps. No, I just lay on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> on your hardwood floor. I got two thoughts. First thought is Scott, get back up closer to your microphone, please. And uh, <laughs> or you can bring the mic to you. Oh, bring the mic to you. And uh, second, and I can't get my thing. My table and my chair hit. Second thing is uh, the uh, the cycles, the cycle duration. One thing I would throw in there, it depend. There's a fact, big factor here for me, would be, do you come off and clean out and go natural in between your cycles, or do you go to TRT? Because if you don't go to TRT, that's another reason to keep your cycle shorter. You know, that's just like earlier when we we're talking about cycle length. That's a big factor. Like I don't usually have. Personally, anybody that I have advised, I do not anymore ever advise guys that are uh, that come off between cycle to use DECA just because it's so hard to recover from. Just my personal experience, I think it's a great drug. I think that people can probably come off. Some people can recover from it just fine. I had a nightmare with it, and I've known a lot of other people who have too with the, you know, the metabolites that just last forever and ever. So for me, and that's just a decision that I made is that I don't suggest people run it when they do come off to recover. If they don't, then, you know, go for it. And that's a duration thing too. The longer you're on, the harder you're going to be to, to get back to your recovered state. So I want to throw that one in there. we got a bunch more though. I think he makes good points. Very yeah. good points. 
uh, and with the TRT, it's funny because people need to know this as well. And I learned this through my TRT bout for five years when I was having all those blood problems. If your markers are high while you're on cycle, going to TRT, even if it's low dose, you know, at 175, you know, 200 milligrams a week to keep your blood levels at 11 or 1200, your blood markers will not drop considerably. Even if your dosing drops, like you were on a big cycle, the difference between going to TRT, especially for the older demographic, this is so important to know, especially for the older demographic, if you need to get your markers well into range, yeah. you don't want them out of range, you have to not do TRT. You have to clean out. Huh. The cool thing is, is it typically only takes 90% of people as few as eight weeks of being off completely off and your markers will reset into normal range again Hmm. but that trt dose can keep your markers from coming back into range it's 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 almost these are our it's huge it's huge and just to put some numbers to it i'll I'll use my numbers when i came off of the top cycle and i came down to trt i was still roughly a point point and a half out of range on my hematocrit on trt when i came off of trt within five weeks i was three and a half points below the top end for hematocrit the trt was holding me up and out of range only on two about 220 milligrams of testosterone and yeah, 220 I mean, is a little high. I don't disagree because I think if you're taking a bunch of big cycle and you go to TRT, numbers are still going to drop. Now, are they going to drop into range? They could. I mean, there's a lot of other factors in hematocrit, you know, your lipid profile than just the drugs. I completely agree. But I'm just saying from experience myself. And what happened was I saw myself first and then I had clients do the same thing. I'm like, okay, you want to just come down to TRT? We'll look at your blood markers. And the large majority of them, and especially when they were in the older age demographic, they had the same issue where when they did finally drop the TRT, those numbers bottomed out considerably. The TRT held the large majority of those guys still really high i was i was actually surprised at how high the trt huh. held when they came off of their cycles yeah but they lost but their right, gains. Everybody... did they lose their gains well the thing is is you're only even if you come come out clean for eight to ten weeks you're you're going to lose your gains and you're going to be you're probably going to be back on cycle anyway so it's kind of funny because you have to look at it this way okay your body reset everybody is going to reset and almost everybody will be back into range while you're off that's just a no-brainer so if you're on for a good amount of time and you're only off for 8, 10, 12 weeks, you're back on again. Your blood markers are going to go through the roof. So if you have, if you are prone to having blood markers that are out of range, they're going to be out of range anytime you're on cycle. And if you're on cycle, the large majority of the year, that's where you're building plaque in your arteries from the higher LDL and the lower HDL. You're over time, you're creating a mess. Even though you're able to reset, people make this, they're like, oh, yeah, my numbers are great and everything else, I'm going back on. Like, that somehow erases the chalkboard of their past, but it does Of the last eight months. Building. Yeah. yeah, or eight years, yeah, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, you know, of going on and off and everything else. So people will say, no, my LDL, you know, fell down and everything else. But what didn't fall down is the plaque doesn't go away in your arteries because your LDL is lower, you still have, so it's a good idea. Dante's big on this, and I think it's great. You have to have those tests to measure for plaque. Mountain Dog does the same thing because if you're constantly, you've been doing gear for a long time and your LDL runs high while you're on, but then not while you're off, you got to have some idea where these plaque numbers are if you're causing long-term damage that 
it, it ends up being arteriosclerosis. It's atherosclerosis. However you want to, it's it's heart disease. Over time, it's heart disease, and it's a it's a bad move. Size of your heart, things like that, those all play into it. I got one that ties right in here from uh, Bradley. Um, go to health supplements during a blast, and uh, also best way to improve lipids. Don't take steroids. That's the best way to improve lip. That would help, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, people, when I was on the forums and post labs all the time and guys are like, oh, dude, my, my profile's so high. Well, dude, you're on like two grams a week. It's going to be high, you know? Uh, but you know, what's the relevance to that when you're not taking all that? But I mean, it, it's, I mean, outside of taking some kind of pharmaceutical drug, I mean, you know, let's assume he's on a really clean diet and he's doing some cardio and, and he's on cycle, his, his profile is still probably going to be at least high normal for most people or a little bit above high. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but I mean, you could do what Skiff says and come all the way off. But I've seen plenty of people that are taking a lot of stuff when they back way off to like a cruise dose, 150 gram, milligrams a week, their profiles drop back down into range. But, you know, just because you're in range, let's say you're, 0.5 below the top and you were 0.5 over before you know just because the little paper comes up in red and says hi there's not that much difference between that yeah if you just but that's by. why those blood markers are so important though too and and it is very individual if someone came to me and they were a client and they said look this is you know when i'm on trt i drop into normal range and you could take a look at those numbers in contrast that's why it's so important to get blood markers or your blood work done while you're mid-cycle too so that you can contrast so if you're just looking at why you're off versus when you're off last time what do you expect there, you know to be different there, there may not be much of a difference at all you have to be able to contrast while you're on in the middle of a cycle versus when you're off if the client came to me and they showed me while they're on TRT that their numbers are in great shape, more power to them and run it. That's why I said I ran for three and a half years because my blood markers were still within range. They were high normal, but they were still within range the entire three and a half years. If I did that now, shit, wouldn't, wouldn't have my blood would be, <laughs> my blood would be thick as shit. I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd, you'd see me come on the podcast and one eye'd be drooping inside of my face. I shouldn't make fun of that, but yeah. um, it, it reminds me of the family guy episode when Peter had the, the uh, stroke and I'm sorry. And I mean, no offense to anybody who's had a stroke or had someone who's had a stroke, but that episode was fucking hilarious. Every episode anyway, of that show is funny. So how yeah, every, that's a good, we were on health supplements. So, um, I'm trying to think what do I, I've been taking a load of stuff now. I got all, all all the stuff I mentioned for my for my joints now, which some of the big stuff is the on denatured collagen type two, as well as the hydrolyzed collagen. Those are two, my two new ones. But I also always take fish oil. I'm taking about five grams of that. I use uh, super bio curcumin. I take that at night. I also you know what? I've been improving the quality of my sleep with some good sleep supplements. I'm using five HTP as well as P5P and uh, L-theanine. What, what about OPP? I just, is that part of your... That's like when I train. Calls. I put that on my headphones. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, okay. Um, and I just uh, like, I wrap it up. You know me. You don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think that, though. And then, sad. you know what else too? Uh, it's hard to get here in the US, but the stuff from Supplement Needs, they have awesome stuff. I'm using their CV stack which contains like all the things that you can possibly need. Cause I, I'm going to see if it actually improves 
my HDL always runs low. And I know that there's that's not the be all end all to, to your cholesterol if it happens to run low. There's more to it than just that. But I'm gonna see if that does help. They have like basically everything you could have in there to improve your cholesterol. Um, I'm taking a handful of stuff nowadays. That's why I'm trying to think offhand. But I'm literally taking, oh, and I'm using vitamin. I think here's one. Every steroid user should take vitamin D because uh, being a steroid user, you're always going to be low in that. I'm taking vitamin A along with that. So I do 5,000 units of vitamin D and that has K in it to make it absorb better. And then I do 50,000 units of vitamin A. And that's my, I, I'm calling that my immune system booster. The And also on top of that, it's improved the texture of my skin. I've got a pimple right now. Everybody on YouTube, pimple. But besides that. But besides that, my skin has been, it's it changed, it's improved the texture. Vitamin A is really beneficial for your skin, but it's also beneficial for your organs and it's good for your immune system. So that's a handful. Like literally I have a handful of stuff that I take every day now. Was this, was this influenced by anybody, all this stuff you're taking? A couple of them. Victoria influenced me on the vitamin D. Yeah, that's all the, I need to hear. And the vitamin A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife, she's been taking a lot of vitamin D lately, just um, for the record. More so the last couple of weeks. High then. five, Scott. Oh, she's not listening. We High don't five, have a signal Scott. here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the checks rolling. Now, um, how can I Put a baby it? in her. How can I explain it? I take it for a moment. I don't take anything. Oh, anyway. Um, I mm. cut mine, my supplementation use back dramatically. I used to take a ton of shit. But I will say this. I still take the ones that I feel <clears throat> are the most important. Um, vitamin K, uh, curcumin, I don't take fish oil anymore, uh, but I do eat a lot of fish more than the normal person. Um, I'm not justifying it as much as I didn't see in my blood markers that there was really any dramatic difference for me taking it, not taking it on paper. It looks great. I could take it. It's not very expensive. It is what it is, but I don't take it. The other one, though, is vitamin D. And between being out, you know, I get more sun than the average person. That's a no-brainer, and that's actually better than the vitamin D that you could, you know, get from food or whatever else. Anyway, but it's vitally important for your immune system. And I would say that especially right now with COVID and everything going on, and I'm not getting into the political ramifications of all that bullshit and masks and all that sort of crap, but it's important right now that your immune system is the strongest or the best that it can be. And vitamin D is such a huge um, component of that. So vitamin D, large majority of people, like you said, Scott, don't have high enough vitamin D levels. So it is a very good supplement as well. Outside of that, um, I am not, I'm just not big on, just not big on the amount of supplements. I don't take them like I, like I used to, I used to just take a boatload of shit. I I never used to. Fuck it. Yeah. I, I did the opposite. Like, I took a few things. I took three or four. Now, like I said, I've got a handful. Uh, but, you know, it's a it's a, an experiment. I'm, I'm seeing, you know, how it works out. And I'm trying to get everything, you know, reasonably priced. I try to shop around, get deals. Of course, you know, some of the stuff I use is from our sponsors, like my fish oil. I get from True Nutrition. I bet you guys didn't know they have fish oil there. But I do. It's not expensive. Or my vitamin A I got from Amazon. And I got the Now brand. And I have enough vitamin A to last me a year. I think it cost me like thirty bucks in maybe yeah, forty. I used now, yeah, now they're, they're good. Quite, quite a bit when I was taking a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're so. they're decent. They're decent, you know. So, yeah, it's for me. It's you know maybe call it an experiment. Some of the stuff it's for you know a lot of different things. But yeah, I I used to be the opposite. I used to be the guy I took like next to nothing. So, 
I know that the curcumin has made a difference in my life. Can you, here's one thing I noticed because I started using it when I was still doing a lot of manual labor and I started getting less tweaks. Like, and it was only in hindsight. Like I looked back and I was like, huh, I have less repetitive use injuries than I had previously, like less just wear and tear. And I really do think that there was like a, a systemic reduction of inflammation. Could you be. taking growth hormone, then that's what's the problem. Probably, yeah, exactly. yeah. I take that too every day. <laughs> I don't take it. I don't take any. I actually use the later brand, not the now. So I'm doing it later. I'm not taking anything. Yeah. Nice. All right. <laughs> I shall. No, I don't take shit. I'll move on then. Let's see. Okay. Uh, is neurotoxicity of uh, trust alone? I don't know if that's a good question for us. We we don't answer that kind of thing, guy. Neurotoxicity. How about uh, I, I'll bring that one to Dave Crossland. He likes those kind of questions. He's talked about like the um, the brain damage you can get from DECA. So I bet he knows about this. That's what, that's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, that, that explains a lot. It wasn't, it wasn't the alcoholism. It was definitely the DECA. It was, yeah, it wasn't the, the, the fifth of crown a day and falling off a building on my head. It was the DECA. How about uh, HCG? Will it prevent infertility if used during a cycle uh will it cause I see no i see no use unless you want your balls to get big to use hcg during a cycle hcg is one of those funny things i and i still get and i want to say this without you know offending anybody who's listening and who thinks differently and you know you guys may too uh, but i feel pretty strongly about this i hcg i just don't think ever <laughs> ever should be used for PCT, and I, I've never really understood. P, HCG is made to be taken during cycle or not, and that's it. HCG is not a, should not be used as a PCT, and, and I know top-level guys, without giving away names, who have used it, um, they say, successfully, you know, as their PCT, and it just, it's, it's just, it's backwards to me. HCG should be used on cycle only, and I feel very strongly about that. And I'm I also admittedly not a PCT guy anyway. Why, why do you like HCG on cycle? I what don't is this supposed like to do for you? I don't know. I don't like it. Make no, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I don't well, like it. you did. All I'm saying is if a client comes to me and they insist on using HCG, I will plead with them not to use it for PCT, but to use it while they're on cycle. It, basically saying if you insist on using it, at least use it the right way and use it while you're on cycle, not for PCT. All right. I mean, yeah, I think it's just a waste to take it on cycle. I mean, what are you doing? You're, you're trying to stimulate something that the drugs you're taking are completely suppressing, and it's not going to overcome them. So what is? I, I get guys say, "Oh, my balls are all drawn up, so I'm going to take HCG. I'd fill them out a little bit for a little while." But you're basically trying to count you're basically trying to, to do something that's almost in this it's, it, that you're suppressing so much it's not going to work you know your lh fsh everything i mean they're getting hammered by you know exogenous steroids i mean heg is not going to do anything for you well it will if the i think it will if the cycles are not long and they're not high dose i think that in situations like that and especially when you're younger hmm. you want to um, not you know, basically try not to, I guess it's a better way to put it. Try not to ruin your future endogenous production of testosterone. I still don't 
think it's a great idea, but I understand the logic behind it and in situations like that. If you're going to just blast cycles and they're going to be the cycles that I would recommend or, or do myself, then I think it is of it's absolutely no money. use either. I complete, it's taking another drug that you're really – it's not going to be beneficial. Yeah. Um, I, if you do come off, I can see, I, I'm, I like your other point too. If you do come off, if you're younger, you're thinking about maybe trying to maintain fertility, it would make sense to, to try to avoid atrophy, right? I mean, that in itself, yeah, you, you're you trying to not, yeah, you can't produce enough testosterone if they're shrunk, right? I think there's a place when you come off for it, it puts in a very short window and it has to be done correctly. Just randomly taking it for six weeks when you come off is not the answer. See, now so, I say that there is, an, so I need to be careful with this. I think there are very rare exceptions. If you come off a PCT or you come off a cycle and for some reason you're in that smaller uh, minority group that does not come back online uh, very quickly at all, like it takes a long time, then in situations like that, then quite possibly then that that could be beneficial. I think what happens is, and this is because of my my viewpoint on PCT anyway. I just can't stand the idea that well, because I'm coming off cycle, I have to do PCT. It's it's well, I take these drugs, so I have to take these drugs over here to compensate for the other drugs that I'm taking without even knowing if you need them or not. The large majority of people will come back online without using any PCT, and the reason I know that is, God damn it, we didn't have PCT. PCT is relatively new to someone like me. Yeah, it's that I've never because. And it's not to me because like my whole life of using steroids, it was like you right. just you just do. You know, I never right. I'd never had heard it's of like this accepted. You have to use PCT. Yeah, I got to yeah. keep my gains. I got to. Yeah. Like, oh, OK. Well, the Internet forum, the Internet forums drove that PCT. Sure. Protocol yeah. That That's the first question anybody would ask. You'd be like, hey, I got a question. I'm running, you know, 500 uh, milligrams of test and I want to know, you know, if I. Should I take that two times a week? And the first question would be like, "Well, what's your PCT?" <laughs> Always exactly. Oh, well, literally, like, literally. I'm going to run a 12 week cycle, and I'm going to come off for six weeks and go back on. What's your PCT? Well, how about nothing? That's always yeah. the question. It's, it's a it's a long ester that tapers blood levels taper on their own. You don't even have to taper the compound yourself because the blood levels basically will come down. The body will taper itself. But you want to know why you got to take PCT for 500 milligrams of test sip. But it does I just, turn it back know, on. Man. It does help you to upregulate your natural production, though. Sure, but how do you know that you need it? Why would someone who is healthy, middle, you know, if you're older, quite possibly, but where are your endogenous levels if you're older anyway? They're yeah. probably in the tank if you've been doing it for any length of time at all. So I would say this. Okay, let's just say you're in your 40s. I've got a friend who's in, in he's my age, exactly my age. He graduated with me and uh, good dude. And he's got natural levels. He's never taken anything. He's just like a like a you know regular workout guy and stuff, wants to stay in shape, that sort of thing. And his testosterone level is like 900. Somebody like that, maybe if they were going to have you know kids down there, he doesn't want to ruin a good – now, he's never taken a cycle, but I'm saying if he wanted to, yeah. he probably wouldn't want to ruin a, a 900 natural level of testosterone. So in a situation like that, quite possibly. But anybody else who's my age, our testosterone's in the fucking shitter anyway. So unless you're young and you've got high levels of testosterone that you want to try to maintain, then, then I, until you know that you need it, 
I don't think you should use PCT. Yeah. That's what That's I said. I've... Just don't take anything. You, you might bounce back in three weeks, four weeks, whatever, once the aster is clear. I you know, will. It's kind of like saying, hey, I'll go against you guys. It's kind of like saying, hey, my, I got a full head of hair, but my dad balded at 55, so I'm going to start getting hair implants when I'm 18. Yeah. But your hair hasn't fallen out yet. Or you're you know? training the same way when you come off cycle that you had built into while you were on cycle because your recovery was so good, and you can't figure out why you're not keeping your gains because you haven't made any adjustments post-cycle knowing that your recovery is nowhere near what it was on your – there's just so many variables there that frustrate me because – well, instead of looking deeper into the training and the nutrition to make sure my recovery is better, not training as frequently, not training with as much volume, I'm just going to take PCT. And I just, ugh. oh, take yeah, more I drugs. don't think it's a be all end all, but I do. I'm going to go. I'm going to no, run. Do. I'm going to run counter well, to you guys. I'm going to run counter to you guys. Yeah, one, real quick, one other thing, too, is when you're coming off cycle. Your hormone levels begin to fluctuate. You're going to start aromatizing it, and yep. your estrogen levels are going to go up. HCG sure the hell isn't going to help those estrogen levels go down. Exactly. So, you know, that's when I see these people saying, oh, you need to take 3,000 IUs every day for like 30 days. I'm like, holy shit. Why don't you just take some estrogen tabs while you're at it? Yeah. You know, I mean. I think having a serum, though, in your system would help to bind up to those receptors to keep all that extra estrogen from giving you gyno hcg is not gonna not gonna accomplish that is it your lh goes from nothing in fsh to like 0.5 i mean it's it's not that big of a swing no i'm saying if you take a take a serum take take clomid say you know or or nolvidex and then it's because it is i i'm i want to ensure that i'm gonna recover say i'm 25 i'm running a cycle it's eight weeks just test only tapers off then i run the pct because i want to ensure that i get that bounce back as best as i can give myself the most chance plus it's gonna work plus uh, also keep the uh keep keep the estrogen when i say controlled meaning i can't get gyno and i found that i'm more likely to get gyno issues when my testosterone gets low and then you know things are out of whack Estrogen goes up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And my testosterone is low, estrogen's up, and then I take Novadex or uh, or Clomid, and then that's blocked. While and everything levels out, my test is going up because I'm taking Clomid. Clomid's not going to blo- not going to reduce your estrogen level. No, but it's going to block it from the receptors. Only only from what receptors? At the nipple. It's a selective oh, estrogen receptor. Yeah. Right. So that's that's my take on it. I would. And and I'm I'm basically I'm just voicing it to to for some drama here on the show. But also I do believe it, and that's because maybe it's because I was raised in that generation to be like it was pounded into me that like you gotta you gotta you know you gotta do a PCT. It was the first question I'm I was always retract, asked. I'm gonna retract my uh, support for Scott McNally's training program. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm over here going yes. We need. To- I'll tell you something interesting though. I'll tell you this. So I had a guy that's worked with me for a long time, on and off, and uh, they weren't trying to have kids. So he he came all the way off, and he went to a couple different doctors, and a couple of them were just, you know, weren't much help. And he finally went to another one, and he sent me the protocol. And there was HCG in there, uh, Clomid. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's – I think there was an aromatase inhibitor in there some too. I hope so. And I looked at the I looked at the the, the the plan he put him on, and I thought, 
you know, out of the gate, it was just a little bit more like he was getting him right on it coming off this cycle. He was very honest with the doctor. And he said, what do you think? I go, dude, I don't quote me because, I, you know, this is not like a science here. You know, this is a lot of and they'd had trouble trying to conceive before. And I said, you know, to me, I think he's got you on too much HCG, too much PCT type drugs from the start, like, you know, ending the cycle and starting the next day. Now, the duration of it made kind of sense, but it was just he it was like too much right out of the gate. And he goes and he and I'm not trying to make myself sound real smart or anything, but he goes, any other tests and sperm levels, everything else, blood work, FSH, LH. I said, you know, on the plan he's got you on, I bet you in about three or four weeks, you're going to see your numbers start to come up. Sure enough, in three or four weeks, they started to come up. But the reason the backside is that why would you start that plan so heavy from the start when all those exogenous steroids have not even cleared his system? Mm-hmm. So they're still suppressing everything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I thought maybe just coming off to him, I told him if you're going to go this route, maybe it's better just to go clean off for three or four weeks, then go to the doctor, get some labs and start there. But he ended up getting, they ended up having to, they had a kid. So they ended up working. Um, you know, the, the plan worked. And uh, Yeah, but, but was, how? Um, well, I mean, I know your friend. He felt, he, he felt like hammered whale shit after about a month. You know? I know your friend though, and, and his wife, and they're both white, and that baby came out Filipino. So let's uh, looks to, like me. Let's rapid. <laughs> let's rapid fire a few. Let's rapid fire a few because we have a bunch left here. So we'll make rapid these. Uh, we'll make these a little See, bit quicker. Once I start talking, he cuts in. Yeah. Well. Uh, what, it just gets lengthy. Just talk too much, Scott. Anyway, go ahead, Scott. What would you address <laughs> if you're if you've lost strength, um, so you've backed off and deloaded for the week, uh, but still feel nausea and dizzy while training legs, not dehydrated, and had a pre-workout meal? Calories are just too low. At yeah. some point, if you're dizzy and lightheaded, that's just that's a blood sugar issue. So if you're training that hard, great. He probably is training hard, but the, the calories aren't there to support blood sugar levels. She. Only other thing I can she, say is if you're, sorry, doing like, if you're doing like leg sleds and stuff, don't jump up and get up real fast because you got a lot of blood in your legs. And some people get dizzy from that nauseous. All right. We had another one here. I think we, we pretty much did sum this up. He says, thanks, Scott, for introducing me to Azoff. I love it. Um, I'd like to get opinions on go-to vitamins and minerals. We pretty much covered that. So I'll move on down here to um, how about this one. Uh, do you feel that there is a huge difference in uh, 10, 8 to 10 or 10 to 12 if they are both worked to failure for a muscle group? Getting in my late 30s and hurt more with lower reps. That's a good question. Yeah, if fail, I I like this one. To me, failure is failure. If you're within bodybuilding rep ranges, and I consider that seven or eight or more, failure is failure. The body doesn't know 12 versus nine. It knows failure. So the, now the other thing that needs to be mentioned is the older you get. The harder it is on your joints and tendons, you're more vulnerable and mm. open to injury if the repetitions are low. However, uh, I counter this, and we've talked about my ideas on this before. You can go down into the lower rep ranges if, let's say, you're doing three or four sets per exercise and you use the same weight for all four, three or four of the exercises. If you hit 12 on the first one, fatigue brings you down to 9 or 10, and then you fall down to the 8 or 9, and you bottom out on that last exercise due to fatigue down in the 8 rep range, you're in the 8 rep range. I would not open, if you're older, with sets to failure at 8. 
eight repetitions or even less, like back in the Lee Haney days, six to eight. That is a dangerous move. Six to eight to uh, failure. <clears throat> that's heavy. That's really heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it's very heavy. And to open that way is is very – it's a hell of a gamble with a $30 million plane, Lieutenant. There's a little top gun for you. So I'd it's, say, it's I'd say if, you're getting, if you're getting injuries and you're going to failure, it means that you're not using very good form. So you need to back the weight off because you might be getting that last couple of reps – Torquing your shoulders, doing mm. something, you, sh- you know, just getting your body out of alignment. And which is pretty common for a lot of people when they get to failure, they lose their form. They start, they look like they're doing, like they're flicking a hula hoop around with their hips mm-hmm. on the bench or whatever. Sure. So you might want to look at that. All right. Um, have any of you guys or you had your clients try a higher fat diet when in a building phase? Example high protein, uh, moderate fats, and very low carbs. Pros and cons. Great show, guys. From Australia, Kane from Australia. He's a big looking dude yeah, I've too. I've tried it. Yeah, I've tried it. I think you have to. You know, I think the the high fat, moderate protein, very low carb can work, but you got to be on that diet for a while so your body can convert that fat and that protein to glycogen. Because if you just try it for a little while, I don't find it works really that good. But you really got to stay. It's it. And it's something a lot of people, some people can go, it's it's definitely one of those ones where some people it works for and some people it just doesn't. And I'd say it doesn't work for more than it does, but it's something you have to continually take. You can't just jump into it for two weeks and go, okay, it's not working. You know, your body has to assimilate to that diet. And I've tried it because I've tried just about everything out there with different ratios and everything else. Um, I have said in the past, and I still stand by this, you really only need, I feel, you really only need the amount of carbs that keep you full and provide fuel for your workouts. It, that being said, though, I don't like to go, I don't like the ratio of the carbs being significantly low. It's almost like if you're going to be low on your carbs and higher on your fat, then just fucking go with more of like a keto approach because the body has to then shift between two fuel sources primarily Hmm. it has to shift between using carbohydrate as a fuel source and the dietary fat and i think that the system of when your carbohydrate is is very low it's more efficient for the body to focus on using dietary fat as a fuel source and body fat as a fuel source versus jumping in between all the time between carbs and fats but that you know, it, it, there's just so many factors there, again, like we, we say in situations like because it's true that it's very difficult to give a black and white answer. So my black and white answer to him would be if you're curious, try it, hmm. experiment, because that's really ultimately you're going to learn more experimenting than you are asking questions of people who've done it a million times over because the answers we have to give are answers that we're responding to what or how we feel the majority of people that we're responding mm. to will respond. You, If you're an outlier, you're not in that group, then you're not going to respond that well, and you're not going to know it until you try it. Yeah. How about, um, we'll go to this one, how about GH? Um, when you're doing a uh, higher dose, like 10 units or more, how do you uh, like to split that up? Nice. Good run with it, Scott. I don't like to do that many, but if you're going to do it, I mean, you could, you could do, you could do five in the morning, five at night, but I just say, take it all at the same time during the day. A lot of people, some people like to do it pre-workout. You know, I don't know. I just always did it first thing in the morning. 
I don't think it made that much of a difference. Here's my take. If you're getting leaner, I do think there is a benefit, at least on paper. I haven't seen it, yeah. admittedly. But I think there's a benefit on paper, too. Let's say you're doing 10 to split it 5 and 5 instead of going 10 all at once. Um, even you could go, you know, 3-3-4 three, three, or 3-3, three, three, you know, 3-4-3, three, three, whatever, something like that. In a building phase, I don't know that it matters, but I will tell you this. I do have a habit of once I – this is just me personally. Once I'm above – say six i'm gonna i'm typically gonna split it i would rather do three and three and if the the timing for me is always um first thing in the morning and either before i go to bed or um pre or post workout and here's the thing i think that on paper pre-workout is great but i have not seen and can't quantify any more progress or any less progress doing it post-workout, pre-workout, or before bed. The only thing I have come to is before bed, sometimes I feel like it does get in the way of my sleep. Me too. Me too. Yep. So oh, the total opposite. Yeah. It's messed me up my blood sugar. Crazy. Yeah, it's messed up my oh, blood sugar, right? I think. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it, I think it just messed with my sleep because there was it was the only thing that I had changed. And when I did pull it out, actually, I didn't pull it out. I pulled it out. Changed it to post-workout. That seemed to help. But then I got away from post-workout because I would not remember it when I came home. It wasn't part of my schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would do is I would end up taking it about an hour or two before I went to bed, like usually two hours. Yeah. And that seemed to not get in the way of my sleep versus taking it right before I went to bed. Hmm. Everybody's different. Scott's almost completely off screen now. I like that. Yep. There it is. I was was stretching my hamstrings on this thing over here. So uh, yeah, I, I, um, I would agree with everything you said, Skip. And I think that that is, I'm thinking that that nighttime thing with GH, the issue, I think that because there could be a blood sugar issue in there. I think that if you have high blood sugar or low blood sugar, that can definitely affect sleep. I think that something changed in me because I didn't have a problem in the past, but lately when, if I've taken a shot before bed, it's been an issue. Same time you were figuring that out about yourself too. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, if I take and I think bed, man, I'll sleep hard, like weird dreams and stuff. But you're also taking a lower dose. As an example, I might go no, back when I used to take more. Oh, okay. All right. Ooh, we I, have. A, I just don't see ten IUs money, but that's just my opinion. We have one more question, and we have some some breaking news. Um, do you guys know who Rick Drayson is? The name rings well, but I can't familiar. put it with. Yeah. He had this show called Rick's Corner. Uh, he'd been in the bodybuilding world for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, I just got some a slew of messages. He passed away. So, uh, rest yeah. in peace to him. And, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a video thing called Rick's corner. Interestingly, he had one about Mike Menser, which really offended me with his guest. And I had actually considered doing like a rebuttal to it. That probably wouldn't be good timing. No, I'm thinking. No, no, no probably not. Not live, it'd be tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't really have a problem with him. I had a problem with his guest. But yeah, that's a shame. Oh, that's a shame, though. That's too bad. Um, uh, One more question here about uh, IGFLR three post workout. um, Extremely worth it, or would you get more out of GH in use to raise your IGF levels? Dude, IGF. LR3 post-workout was the Mac Daddy for me. I loved it. If you get the real stuff, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a factor, though, right? 
Yeah, I mean, as soon as you drop the, as soon as I would drop the weight, head right in the uh, bathroom, head in the stall, IGFL three, and would drink that torrent. And then you flush the syringe. In it. You'd flush the syringe. And that you flush the syringe, <laughs> and that stuff, man, I just got lean. I got so vascular. I mean, it just. I found it. I just did it by accident. I was like, oh, I'll just try it this way. And it worked great. You ruined the plumbing at that gym, too, I'm sure. Nah, there were small syringes. They flush good. Remember when he told us that, Skip? And he was like, they're just gone. It's fine. They're gone. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't own the plumbing in the building, so to him, they're gone. (laughs) They went somewhere. They went somewhere. Yeah, they went somewhere. The water, the local water treatment plant. Yeah. You get about thirty days out of that before it starts to lose its lust. It, what, it flushing it lose <laughs> what flushing syringes? What flushing syringes? The last I came in the next time, they had police tape on the bathroom. Do not enter. Yeah. <laughs> Skip post workout, pre workout. I'm you free. Think? I, yeah, I'm free. I, again, there there may not be. I like the way that things like that work out on paper because I can't see the difference. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen or noticed a difference pre or post uh, GH or uh, the only the only one that has really stood out that I can see a difference and notice a difference is insulin pre versus post. It it made a lot of people fat post workout and pre mm. it doesn't tend to do that. It doesn't have the same impact on a lot of people. Sorry, <clears throat> hate when people do that, but I couldn't get to my mute button. So it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pre guy. I mean, I, I prefer to get it in there immediately prior to training. Um, any of those three insulin, IGF or growth hormone. I do the same. I do the same. I've tried post. I know when we had, so there was the week skip. You weren't here. Dave Callick was here and him and skip and him and Scott agreed about everything. They all, they skip. Yeah. Dave Callick rings yeah. about. He liked uh, he liked the insulin. He said first thing in the like with meal one, and uh, growth hormone in the morning, and then he said, uh, in, and then if you needed a second shot, it would be post workout. Of well, I'm glad I stole his information years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I feel smarter and appear smarter that way. So yeah. <laughs> no, that's it's always good to be honest when I hear that. Someone like Dave, if if we are, if there are parallels with things like that, because it just reinforces that uh, maybe I maybe I do know something. Well, he did like <laughs> he liked the insult or the IGF one post as well. Let's. Oh, oh well, he's dumb. Yeah, not mm-hmm. very. Smart <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I will say this though: when I didn't use that torrent, that old waxy maze torrent, I don't think it worked as good. Yeah. Waxy maze. About that what stuff. going on waxy maze? Dude, that Ooh. stuff was terrible to drink. It's like swallowing jello. I still say that gastric emptying is for waxy maze is overrated. That's for another segment, but it's because it separates and it separates in your in your stomach, in my opinion, just like it separates when in it sits shaker. in your shaker cup for two fucking minutes. Yeah. And that's why it causes a lot of distress for a lot of people. But I got a man's stomach, though, Skip. I'm a man. Potato can, base. Potato I, I or rice up. base. You can get Card. that, though, from uh, True Nutrition. You get their uh, carbo load. You can also, if you want to upgrade that, you can go to the high, highly branched cyclic dextrin like adults use today, S2H. Yep. Torrent. They probably don't even make torrent anymore. I don't know. Do Probably not. Probably not. 
But they do make uh, I actually you know, got it, Perry I actually MD got it for free, and that's why I used it. Yeah, I think that went out with the orange. What was the uh, ultimate? Not Agent Orange. Ultimate Orange. What what was that shit? Dan Duchesne. Ultimate Orange. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much just pow- powdered D ball. You just I had drew. my arm blaster. I was doing my curls. My arm blaster. <laughs> right, right. I had my tiger stripe pants on. My fanny pack. I was oh, getting yeah. after it. It's a good day, man. Arm blast. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here, guys. For another episode of uh, Blood, Sweat, and Gear, I'm here with Skip Hill and Ask2H. You can go to teamskip.com. In fact, you should. In fact, uh, you can go to Skip's uh, Longevity DVD there. You can go to the links in the uh, the show notes, and you can check out all the stuff about stretching there. You can also check out our great sponsors, truenutrition.com and um, getazoth.com, as well as supplementneeds.co.uk. And uh, we've got codes down there, too. I'm Scott McNally here with Skip and Stage. We'll see you guys soon. (laughs) 